My career sucks. Sex just isn't the same. What's my purpose? Where did this fat come from? My relationship is killing me. I'll never be happy. My debt is piling up. I'll never find love. Why can't I be like other gay guys? Hey guys, it's time to get a grip, stop whining, make a bold move, and do something amazing with your 40-plus gay life. Let's get to the show with your tell-it-like-it-is host, Rick Clemens, who does his best to never act like a dick or a diva unless you act like one first. So you got a kink, and you got a fetish. But you're also a hypnotherapist, you got a master's in education, and everybody goes, really? You can't be all of those things at once? Well, that's a bunch of bullshit. You can be whoever the fuck you want to be in your world. And guys, at 40 plus, you need to adopt this. And I'm telling you, today's guest has kind of taken that route. He is everything I just said. He is a coach, a hypnotherapist. He's got a master's. He's got all these things going on to, uh, for him. And he helps people in, quote, the kink community, be their fullest version of themselves in or out of a buttoned up suit in their work. And I'm really excited to have this conversation with Matthew Bennett and to unpack how you be fully yourself, no matter what your fetish is in the world. So Matthew, welcome to the podcast, man. Glad to have you here. Thanks so much for having me here. Really good to be here. He disappointed me, though, guys. He did not show up in any of his kink stuff. I'm just saying because, you know, <laughs> but we didn't have that conversation before. But um, I bet you get that all the time, right? Like there's suddenly people hone in on this one piece of you like, hey, I, I you know, I coach kink people and English Leather Masters is brand. Wait, you're all buttoned up. <laughs> I, I, I get a bit of that and I get a bit of people calling me sir or master when they they message me on on my you know my 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 coaching or, or hypnotherapy uh websites and I, i'm like no i'm matthew in this this context yes. because mm -hmm. we can't have that that distance between us that that things right. like that um, i get and... i get i get the daddy hey daddy i'm like no i'm your coach i'm not your daddy that is not how we're gonna play this yeah. game here <laughs> <laughs> exactly and then i did have a couple who turned up naked on their first call once and i very quickly learned that, that was quite early on it i was like no you have to have mm -hmm. clothes on because you can you you can talk about what you do in the bedroom but i don't want to see it thank you very no. much no i actually i had that happen too. one guy i was coaching he was pretty insistent that somehow he and i were going to meet and there was going to be a romantic thing i'm like well guess what i hate to burst mm. your bubble but you're no longer a client because you push the, yeah. he pushed the envelopes way too many times in that arena. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Done, done, done. So, um, so Boundaries. where did everything start for you as far as like, you, you know, you've got a master's and all that. So did the hypnotherapy and stuff, is that where you kind of start? And then you're like, Hey, I can bring this coaching and helping kink people. Or was it all kind of co-creating <laughs> at the same time? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, I'm sort of, I, so to start at the end and then to to work backwards, my my business. You you sort of summarised it uh, quite well, but my business is all about uh, working people who are kinky or LGBT plus, um, and so they can recognise the whole of their lives and bring skills from one place to another. So, um, you know, we've all heard these TED talkers who talk about their families or talk about their um, their work, and they talk about you know the fact that they are. Uh, an army seal navy seal mm -hmm. um who who's happy to kill people and they're happy to talk about that uh and they'll bring the leadership lessons from the 
from the cricket or yep. leadership lessons from church. Um, and I was like, well, why can't we bring leadership lessons from the bedroom mm-hmm. or, um, you know, uh, marketing lessons from explicit Twitter? Um, mm-hmm. And and it's, it's, it's so bringing all of that together. And where that came from going backwards was uh, I was working in education and sales and marketing of um, uh, assessment products, bizarrely, in Southeast Asia. Um, and I was planning on being a consultant in that area, but thought, you know, what well, coaching would be a good thing to, to do some coaching, yeah. um, uh, you know, for, for the people I was going to be working with, went on a course, loved coaching, didn't love working with leaders in education in Southeast Asia, because all of the, um, the, the, in particular in British schools, which is what I was going to be fo- focused on, really boring people. <laughs> <laughs> didn't want to like, oh, didn't really like them. Think? Um, yeah, um, the ones who could afford me anyway. Um, right. And so I was like, I don't really want to work with you. And they didn't want to work with me. And But at the same time, for practice sessions, I've been practicing with people in my community. And I was like, oh, sure. this is working. I'm really, this is, this is really good. And, you know, you have a doctor who's talking about he's, he's a, he's a MD, he's a clinician who suddenly has to lead people and he hasn't got any um, skills in that. And I'm like, but mm. you've done this in the bedroom. You know how right. to do this. Right. Uh, so it's that integration. So it came from my hobby became my life, mm. <laughs> became my work. Yeah. Um, and the hypnotherapy is sort of the other, other way around and that I was playing with hypnosis in the bedroom. It's quite fun mm. to get people to do things uh realize it's really powerful thought mm. you know what well, i could do some good with this as well as making people feel feel horny um so i now don't do the the erotic stuff but i do do the uh therapeutic stuff and that's useful too but you at the same so- time right sorry right no but you said something really it, it just struck me as you were talking through that because i'm like it, this is very similar to what i uncovered for me it's like okay well if i can help somebody come out of the closet about their sexuality I can help them come out of the closet about not wanting to be a CEO, mm. you know, or I can help yeah. them come out of the closet about, you know, not wanting no, this relationship is no longer working. It has nothing to do with sexuality. There's mm. so many things that we come out of closets about that we don't realize mm. it's the same freaking journey, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think what I love about this stuff that you're doing, Matthew, is there are the parallels. Now, some would go, this seems just too far fetched. I'm like, not really. Because a really good leader isn't necessarily going to want to, quote, dominate his people, but there has to be an air of dominance and leadership that comes to being that leader. But you could go both directions. You could be very submissive. Maybe you're a leader who, like, I know I'm sitting in this beautiful role, and it's kind of like servant leadership. That's a big terminology yeah. here in this state. Yeah, 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 yeah. All over. It's a very I've similar thing. Like it's a, it's, it's kind of that same concept. I may call it, you know, servant leadership, but there's like, how do I submit to my people to get the most out of them? You know, but there's also a piece of, you got to be a strong leader. So sometimes you're going to have to exercise some dominance too. And I, I yeah. think it's just really interesting to see all this. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. I mean, okay. It kind of does, you know, like, Hey, when you're doing, <laughs> You know, when you're into the scene, it's like there's a piece of donning the vests and all this sort of stuff that adds to the air of it. But it's the same thing in business. 
if if any of our leaders, I you know, I'm, I always like when people you know have made fun here in the states about when President Obama wore a beige suit instead. I'm like, oh my god, you people are like, you're making this the focal point of something. Like it makes him less <laughs> of a leader, right? But we yeah. do this on a daily basis. Like, oh, the way they're dressed doesn't make them look this way. I'm like, really? Did that change how they do what they do? Maybe to some degree, it puts them in a different mindset. But um, I love this. So what are some of the things that your clients who are, you know, in the kink fetish space, what are some of the things they struggle with the most, like integrating this into their world without going, I'm showing up to lead a corporate meeting, you know, ass chaps and everything else. Like, how do you help them integrate some of this stuff? So some, sometimes it's not about integration. Sometimes it's about not, you, you know what it's like as a gay man, that, that when you're having any conversation. I'm not gay. I don't know where that came from. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> when you're having any conversation, even as a hairdresser, they go, mm -hmm. top, 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 top. where are you going on holiday? Who are you going with? Right. And you have that moment of having that little part of stress where you have to think, okay, who's in the room? Am I comfortable to tell the hairdresser that I'm going with my husband? Mm -hmm. And yep. that moment of of stress. So sometimes my clients, we don't talk about kink. We talk mm -hmm. about their, their businesses, but they know they don't have to worry about going, Oh God, and I was exhausted over the weekend because I was being whipped, uh, right. you know, and, right. and it's just part of their story and we can get over it really fast. Mm -hmm. At other times I've got, for example, um, I've had clients who um, stress relief came from BDSM. So mm -hmm. uh, they, they were very stressful jobs. They had very stressful jobs, but they recognized that um, their version of yoga or a retreat and walking on the beach was mm -hmm. being beaten or being put in a cage. And again, that was just part of their story. And we were talking more about the leadership for other people. Um, it will be about, for example, um, you were talking about uh, what a leader looks like to some extent and what a leader does and being a, a dominant leader. A lot of it is the sort of what we, we 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 all coaches will do the whole what would Jesus do thing. It's like so if you were this type of leader, what would you do? And we've all done that thing where we say, um, okay, so imagine you're like this, um, create that persona, um, and then try to live that persona. What what would they stand like? What would they dress like? I do that a lot, but with a lot of kinky people, one of the greatest things about kinky people is that they understand personas really well and they understand other people's personas. So, for example, um, the difference between a leader who's a daddy and the lift different, uh, or a leader who's an alpha male or a, a leader who's a master or an, um, um, a leader who's a goddess or something, yeah. they are all those tropes from the bdsm world translate to leadership yep. or the other way around if you're thinking about your subordinates you're like is this person um a faggot you know just completely useless or are they a gimp they'll do whatever you say 
or are they a brat that they're pushing back constantly and just driving you fucking mad right. or are they butler like and they're always there to help you and when they come to you they're actually probably trying to push you forwards you know and and by recognizing the other people in the room you can also recognize how you work with them better um mm. and that's something that kinky people are very very good at doing in their personal life and don't realize they can do in their work life too. So that's the kind of thing I do quite a lot of. It's so interesting. You bring that up because now you just took me back to many, many, quite a few years ago, my other podcast, life uncloseted. I was working with a group of um, women entrepreneurs. I was part of their inner circle. Go figure the one gay guy and all these women. Right. And um, what's, what's the gay version of a fag hack? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've always wondered that. Like, how do we describe that, right? You're but, a hackbag. Um, a hackbag. Yeah, there you go. But one of the gals had wrote a book, um, a, a sales book, and seven secrets of something. Or and she basically goes through like all these selling stereotypes, right? Mm. And it was a cute little book, you know, all that sort of stuff. And as I was reading through it, I'm like she was actually one of the very first people that was not queer that mm -hmm. came on that podcast. I'm like, you know what? Your selling stereotypes are actually exactly how different people should learn to sell the fact that they're queer. And we turned it, we mm -hmm. took every one of the stereotypes and said, so like, if you're a vixen, you know, and if you're this seller type, lean into that as your personality, because this is how you'll be able to have the conversation with people about coming out about who you are in the world, because it's very similar. If you're a very, you know, there was a, a, a dominant, you know, like a, a, I think she did have like a dominant as one of the selling types. You're going to get your way. This is how you're going to do it. But you're, you're so good at being that dominant that people want to serve you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we took all these different examples of, oh, you think you have to have this special way of doing this? No, 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 no. I say this to my clients all the time that I'm working with coming out. Especially, well, I only work with, pretty much only work with guys coming out in midlife. They're so worried about the conversation you're going to have with their spouse. Absolutely understand it. It's one of the biggest conversations you'll ever have in your freaking life. But what other big conversations have you had with your spouse? Mm. Mm. And they suddenly go get really quiet. I'm like, yeah. Did you have conversations about having children, about buying homes, about moving for one of the other's jobs? about getting married. I said, you've had similar big conversations and suddenly you feel like you're a little gimpy boy. Like, I don't know how to do this. Well, bullshit. You do. You just didn't realize <laughs> yeah. it. You know, and yeah. I love that you're doing basically the same thing in the kink space that we kind of take these things that a, we either are really good at, or we really love. And suddenly because of the situation, we don't think we can make it translatable. Yeah. You're making yeah. it translatable. The, the other big thing that I do that, that you've, you've sort of hit on slightly is to some extent give people permission mm. to have multiple personas to be multiple people um and i think it's it's <laughs> anyone anyone who's ever met me in a in a coaching conference knows that i start to to grimace with the the the, the a word i call it authenticity because I'm not really sure who the authentic me is. Is it the authentic me, the one that you're talking to now, who's sort of right. sitting here casually in a in a t-shirt, or is it the one that I'm at my parents' house, who's a bit bratty and a bit sullen and <laughs> complains about things at my to my parents, or is it the guy who walks in very tall, very stern look on his face and does bad things to people and makes them cry and gets off on it? You know, which is authentic? Um, they're all me. 
Um, mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that I do with a lot of people is say, you don't have to find the real you. When people say, that's not what I do. I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> Since when? Why can't you do that? Who? So who do you want to be? And who do you want to be in this situation? And then when you were talking about um, Obama and his, his beige suit, a lot of it is almost Pavlovian, is that when you see someone in a certain type of clothing, you have a resp response to them. And my, my previous job was literally white guy in a suit. It basically, I was working in Southeast Asia. Um, my Southeast Asian colleagues, whether they were Chinese, Indonesian, Malaysian, they would walk into a room. They would give a load of information to the audience. I would then walk in behind them, say exactly the same things, and everyone would listen to me because I was the white guy in the suit with a beard. Um, and they believed me more because in the particular context we were working in, they had been taught to listen to white guys in suits. I hated it, incidentally. It was one of the reasons I, I left that job uh, was because I called it out and in front of a load of people because I looked at one point and I was looking at, I was on a panel and it was a load of white guys in suits and everyone in the audience was an Asian, half of whom had hijabs and things on. And I was like, the, this panel should look like you. And mm. they did not like it. Um so, but but it was a Pavlovian thing. So, um, yep. where was I going? What I'm, I sometimes it's useful for people to either become a new person, a new person, a uh, persona, or find that network in their brain that allows them to access that. Um, and sometimes they need to dress differently, or sometimes it's they have to recognise that other people need something from them in order to, for them to be that person in front of them. So, if they're leading a group of people how do they tell the group that they are the leader um mm -hmm. and that's always interesting to do what well, is interesting because people feel like they have to separate all these things and no matter yeah. how you think it, these are all separate siloed pieces of who we are they're all yeah. part of who we are yeah. and yeah. you know i'm a father i'm a husband i'm a coach i'm a speaker yeah. i'm a podcaster i'm a gay man i'm a daddy bear i'm you know i i mean there's all yeah. these things they're all all me and and i just find the moments where something like shows up a little bit more um yeah. anybody who's listened to the podcast has heard me tell this story but i think because of what we're speaking about it's worth repeating a little bit you know when i first started life uncloseted and it's funny. I always tell people, go listen to the episodes one, two, and three. Oh my God, they were awful because you could just tell. <laughs> so welcome to Life Uncloseted. We're so excited to have you here. I'm like, who the fuck is that guy? You know, yeah. because it was so scripted. I was like, yeah. and, and I'm like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. And then I'm like, I can't do this. I got to just be Rick. I got to just let, you know, me shine forth. And suddenly everything became like what we're doing here today. I'm like, okay, I can play off of this. But I didn't want to be that scripted guy because that's not really who Rick is. Rick no. is free flow. Let's go with the moment. Let's dance with the in the moment with whatever's happening. And I see this all the time with the speakers that I coach too. It's like, okay, so let's work on it. Let's let me hear your talk. And they'll be we'll be laughing, joking. They're like, okay, so. Today we're going to explore. I'm like, who? Who is this? You know? And it's like, because I'm a speaker now. This is my persona. When I'm on stage, I need to have, I'm like, no, 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 no. 
that's so far departure from who you are. And so I think it's an interesting parallel to what you just brought up, Matthew, of how we carve out these pieces and then we think, oh, no, this has got to show up this way. No. But it's an interesting that, you know, going on the speaker one, that someone like Brené Brown is so popular because she feels like she's having a conversation with you. Absolutely. At a bus stop or something, you yeah. know, or, or over a beer. You, uh-huh. you don't feel like she's on the stage in front of you, even though she's, she actually is. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I agree with you on that one. So what have you learned about yourself the most by, in, you know, seeing this integrating this come bringing all this together in the way that you do that maybe 10 years ago you were like i don't know i don't know when all this really began for you but like i can see now that i've learned so much about myself by allowing this to become more of me well, that's a good question um a lot of it is about recognizing things a lot of it is about about adding words or vocabulary or a a model to what's already going on and therefore i can talk about it Mm. um so for example 10 years ago i wouldn't have had an idea of the wording i recognized very early on in my career when i was a teacher that in school when i was wearing a suit i was mr bennett and when i was at home in jeans and t-shirt i was matthew and matthew and mr bennett were somehow different but it's only more recently that i'm i'd be able to put you know words to that or a model to that so i'm a particular follower of robert keegan's models of adult development and now i'm like ah that's stage five once you recognize the different types of you um and uh or when i'm talking about shame you know, in the past, I would be quite happy to say to people, um, shame's about just being who you want to be. But um, now I'd be able to talk much more and n- notice myself about internal, external loci, loci of evaluation yeah. and saying, when I'm when this happens and I'm feeling this and I sit in that moment and feel that discomfort often when this is <laughs> in the kind of thing I'm talking about. I'm recognizing what's going on and I'm then starting to pull apart the, the locus of evaluation. I'm starting to recognize um, what that means to my own self-concept. So all of this stuff is just putting the words to it to allow myself to go, okay, now I get what's going on. And you can sort of pull yourself back then and start thinking, okay, right. Totally external locus of evaluation um what do i actually want in this particular situation what am i going what am i going to do about it what do i want to get from that um so i think that's that's my journey is is recognizing what was on already there and and putting words to it that's a big self-awareness piece you know (laughs) i i actually was i was actually going through this this morning with with myself i said self you sit over there in that chair and i'm gonna sit here and we're having a little conversation (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because I realize I'm procrastinating on something and I'm like, okay, you mm. know, you're doing this. Yeah. So self, why are you doing this? And what do you really want? Yeah. And it was like, I, cause well, partially cause m- my husband love him dearly. He just kind of was like, just quit talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was one of those moments where you're like, okay, 
And then yeah. a friend of mine happened to say basically the same thing this morning. Like, I'm, I'm sick of you talking about the book. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, you say you're going to do this. You got the book done. You say you're going to do this. And you, all I hear is, well, one of these days, because I don't want to, I want to hear, oh, I did this. This is what I did. And so <laughs> I did. I literally took like 30 minutes this morning and said, okay, why am I doing this? Mm. I wrote this book and it's just sitting here now. Why am I procrastinating all this sort of stuff? And I came up with my own, you know, like Connie said, I found my locus here and I'm like, okay, here's where I am. And this is why I'm doing this. By the time I got done, did I feel like, okay, I had all the answers? No, but I felt a whole lot better because I'm like, okay, I can see clearly. Here's what's going Mm -hmm. on. Here's what I want. I reevaluated why I even want this book to come out in the world. You know, it's like, yeah, I I could go right now because I mean, I have a self-published book. I could go do that. And I'm like, I don't really want to do that partially because I'm a lazy bitch. I want somebody else to do all the heavy lifting this go around, right? <laughs> I mean, I did it with a publisher before and then I'm like, I pulled it back and do it. I'm like, I don't think I have the energy to go do this all by myself again. So, um, but it was, it was so valuable to me, Matthew, that I, I felt like I was like, you know, in your world, I was like, <laughs> like, I'm going to take care of this brat. This brat is pissing yeah. me off yeah. and I'm going to take care yeah. of it. Yeah. And when I got done, well, I felt like I felt like I just had a great sex session because I'm like, I need a cigarette, I need a drink. Uh, <laughs> you know, I might need a spanking. I don't know. But, um, you know, it was just one of those things where I was like, OK, now I feel very focused. I do have yeah. some intentionality, you know, and sometimes I think this is something we miss, especially as gay guys over 40. As things start to happen, we like we want this. We want this. OK, yes. But what are you doing to make it happen? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I can equate that to our sexual desires and fetishes too. It's like, you say you want an open relationship or you say you want more than just sex, or maybe you, you want a monogamous relationship. Any of these things could be anything, or you want a promotion at work. Um, So many of these things show up for guys over 40. I'm not saying the younger ones don't get it, but there is something about once we hit this magic number of 40 plus lots of different things start to kick in, you know? Uh, I have a client who actually his BDSM fetishes have kicked in since he hit 40. And at first he was like, I don't understand it. I'm like, well, I guess we know what we're working on, right? Because you need to, you need to give yourself permission to understand it. You need to give yourself permission to say, it's okay for me to explore this. You need to give yourself permission to say things have shifted. Maybe this is something that's always been there, but because of whatever, and he's been in a couple of longer term relationships and, in his word, they were like, they were relationships that were so vanilla, it, you would have thought it was 100% vanilla extract. I laugh my ass off at that one. I'm like, okay, well, those are, that's pretty damn vanilla, I guess. But um, I feel like that's part of, too, what you're doing is you're helping people. You already said it, you're giving people permission to do or explore or to go do the thing that they most want. Yeah. And, and you know, there is that part of it that some people go, is this normal? I'm like, a does it matter if it's normal and b uh, probably um you know people people constantly come to me with you know it's uh, the, is it is it normal to be into this thing or for this thing to happen to my body or whatever i'm like yeah um one of my clients came to me the other day and he was he was talking about the fact that he found it really strange that when he was before he orgasmed um and we're talking sort of over a series of, of, of days or weeks 
if he had held back from orgasming, he he'd start to become more and more this sort of himbo, uh, wanting to be told to go to the gym and just become big and mindless. And then as soon as the orgasm, suddenly <laughs> he was a business analyst again, and he wanted to to do you know things, and he was much more in his cerebral cortex. And I'm like, and he was he was upset about this. And I was like, okay. When I'm hungry, I'm like, I want food. All I want is food. And then I eat and then suddenly I'm back in the, the room and I'm back present with the people I'm with. And I recognize that I'm, I was so focused on that thing. So is that wrong? No, it's just that we have bodies and brains that want us to do certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, and And sometimes they want us to do some fun things and sometimes they want us to do some dangerous things and you need to go and find the right people to help you through those dangerous things and Mm -hmm. yeah every now and then i come out of you know what the international coach federation would say as is proper coaching and say no no you can't be doing that you know that's dangerous don't do that Mm-hmm. So, yes but i get that too i mean there's yeah yeah as everyone does you know sometimes we do have to, to come out to coach and become daddy <laughs> right exactly but i'm no longer i mean i i'm icf certified i mean I, I have that i have enough hours to be a master certified coach but there's times i'm like this is where the nuance of the ethics and stuff it's like there's some blurred lines here because in order to do some of what we do i gotta have some frank conversations with my people yeah. Like, why do you think your penis isn't big enough? I mean, I'm sorry. I, they bring but, it up, but, but, you know. But, and, and this is the interesting thing, isn't it? That there's nothing in the code of ethics of any of these uh, organizations about, you know, you mustn't uh, sell stocks and shares or talk about um, Bitcoin with them. But for some reason, they're all obsessed with sex. That, you know, sex is a taboo subject. Like, where, right. where did that come from? Right. What? Why? <laughs> why right. is that any more taboo? You have right. to be as careful with sex as you should be with Bitcoin, right. if you ask me. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I agree. Hundred no. percent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so what do you enjoy most about being able, being able to do this work? Because it's got to be something that for you in your stage of life, it's like I feel like I've. La- I mean, I feel like I've landed in what I really love doing. Oh yeah. 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 I, I mean, love... yes, I bitch, I bitch. I'm not going to deny I bitch on a daily basis about stuff. I mean, I wouldn't be me if I didn't. But No, who would? Um, right. what, I, what I love is seeing people see possibility for themselves. And actually, it's, it's one of the things I like about what, what you've been doing in your work is, okay, let me step back from that question for a moment and tell you my, my theory about gay men. Um, there are three generations of gay men at, alive at the moment. There is the the remainder of the uh, generation that was decimated by HIV. Yep. Um, they have serious in their life trauma, and a huge number of them disappeared from the scene, and mm-hmm. they just they they hid sometimes in straight relationships, sometimes in monogamous relationships to get away from the scene. And um, I'm the next generation, Dan, where Mm -hmm. HIV was still a very, very big presence in my my coming out life. I was terrified that I had HIV for many, many years because getting tested when I was 20, 25 years old was, you know, it was a a difficult experience. You had to 
go somewhere, make a, uh, an appointment, take a yep. month to get the results. HIV drugs were in, though. So I wasn't going to die of it, but I knew that I would be on a drug every day. Uh, yeah. Or at least, you know, even even AZT was sort of, it might keep you alive for 10 years. We're not really sure what's going to go on with it. It was mm-hmm. it was a scary time. But, but we were lacking the elders above us because they mm-hmm. weren't there and they weren't present. Yep. Um, I was really lucky in having elder people in the gay community who took me under their wing of two or three in particular who were able to show me what being a gay man was like there's another uh uh group and i'm not talking and who prep you know hiv uh proper u equals u um hiv regimens that that came in that meant that you weren't going to die Mm-hmm. that was that was off the off the table dying wasn't on the table uh and at the same time alongside all of this is is the ability to come out the ability to you know you've got i mean at least in the uk um it took uh halfway through my adult life suddenly i couldn't be sacked fired for for being gay right. i know it's still the case in america i could suddenly marry my husband um you know all of these things happened across our lives and suddenly being I saw a tweet once saying, um, I find it difficult for, for you to, to relate to young men who being gay is not a traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. And I sort of get it. But from the other side of round, who is teaching these people how to be a gay man? Yeah. Because what used to happen for, for my generation and the generation above was we met each other in bars. Yeah. We met each other in clubs. We talked to people. We experience people older than us uh and i'm not just talking sexually i'm talking about the the possibility of who yep. who gave me can be the youngest generation at the moment everything comes from porn and the mm-hmm. twitter and tiktok and all the rest of it and if you don't have a six pack if you don't have a nine inch dick if you don't if you're not able to take right. a dildo the size of three fists up your ass then you're not valid if you're not taking the right drugs, you're not valid. If you're not drinking to excess, you're not valid. If you're not listening to certain music, you're not valid. There's this huge, they've come out of their their small town and they've come into this community that says you're not valid unless you look like this mm. uh, and if you live this life. So what the thing I really love about the job I'm doing um, in both the coaching, the hypnotherapy and putting a load of stuff online that, you know, if anyone wants to find out what size and whether I'm cut and all that, it's all online, um, is by saying there is a way and it may not look like the porn sh- studios want you to see and it may not look mm-hmm. like that the advertisements for, for underwear want you to see. I look different from all of that. I live a different life and I'm an option. Yep. Um, yep. And I think that's the thing I feel the most... <laughs> proud and excited about is by giving people option an option a guidepost to say you could become me if you wanted to if you don't no problem at all you don't have to like me you don't have to like what i'm doing you don't have to want to look like me whatever i don't care but there's a possibility out there and i don't look like 90 percent of the models on twitter i don't look like uh, but at the same time i'm quite open about what i do so therefore i will you know with my partner who is my submissive we also talk about going to the theater we 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 post pictures of us 
on beaches because that's our life it's not all in dungeons you know <laughs> i do wear a t-shirt now and then mm-hmm. um, so it's just trying to make sure that um people can see all of that and then sometimes people come to me and i really love working with them to find their future so it's that elder piece in saying you don't have to be me but i can help you find you um and and grow as you i love that was a very long answer no but i love that answer because it it brought up some really good stuff to kind of wrap up the show i Mm. i love these three sectors because I'm right on that cusp where I came out in the early eighties. So it was right in the midst of everything starting to happen. I remember going for the test right after I, um, well, I came out in the early eighties and then I came out in the nineties, 1999. So by 1999, we were, we were going through like, you're waiting for the test. You're doing all this stuff, right? Now, yes, we're lucky. We have prep all this other stuff. So it's like, We've all grown into this generational thing. What I find somewhat disturbing out of all of this, and I know, you know, younger generations always going to be a little bit like, yeah, I don't, I know I've got it all going on, is there does seem to be a loss of younger generation wanting to learn from, quote, the elders. And one of the things my husband and I would love to do would be, and not, not sexually, okay, maybe every once in a while, but to have some younger guys in our life, like here, let us pass down our wisdom. Here's what we've learned. Here's what we've witnessed. Here's what we've seen, especially now that things are so crazy in the freaking U.S. that who knows? And not just the U.S. It's all happening all over the world. But I mean, when we're looking at stuff and going, OK, the, uh, there was a Pew poll that just came out um, actually just a couple of days ago where they're like the acceptance of lgbtq has reduced by 15 points in the republican party i'm like yeah i don't give a shit that's the republican party but to see that it's actually reduced in the democratic party by like six points that's disturbing stuff now granted they pulled two thousand people out of 15 million or whatever it is that live in the u.s but i don't think people are grasping the value of the generations before you what you can learn from them it's almost like Instagram and instant you know, gratification and the likes and all this. As long as I'm getting that, I've got it all figured out. Well, no, you haven't. There's so much more to be learned. And I, I love some older guys. I mean, I'm almost 60. I have a couple of older gay guys that I lean into every once in a while and go, hey, you know, what do you think about this? Where do you think you know, we are? Because it helps me keep going, number one. And it helps me prepare for, okay, well, if I can pass something on to the next generation, what will it be? So um, I'm glad yeah. you brought all that up because it was a really great just breakdown of like how we can look at things in a different light. But I think, I mean, the, the one thing is having having been a teacher, having worked in education and having been a stepdad to two kids who are now in their 30s, um, <laughs> they, they pretend not to listen. They're listening. Mm-hmm. They're, just, oh, yeah. they're, they're, they're not coming. So I think what what the only thing we can do is put stuff out there and act publicly in a way that makes us proud of who we are and helps people recognize themselves in us. Um, mm-hmm. And very quickly, my, one of probably my proudest moments in this whole journey was during lockdown when me and my partner used to run twice weekly uh, meetings for, for kinky people. Um, and 
most of the people in those probably wouldn't have gone out very often. They were generally, there were a lot of them who were introverted. There were a lot of them uh, who were neurodiverse. And I've seen them on the scene now, three years later, and they're, they're out there, they're having fun, they're in relationships, and I'm loving the fact that we helped them get there and we kept them through that really difficult period that everyone's already forgotten. But, but you know, that, that stuff, and lots of people come to me and say, you know, you gave me permission to be this, to be into this. Um, and I like that. I'm really proud of that. And I think we can all do it without, you know, you're putting it out on the podcast. I'm doing content and writing books and doing book clubs and stuff. They'll come when they're ready, um, but they're listening. That's awesome, man. So cool. <laughs> so if people want to connect with you and they want to learn more about classes and stuff that you run and programs, yeah. where are some of the best places for them to connect with you? So the the the, uh, the safe work website EnglishLeatherMaster.com uh, and my basically safe work Instagram is uh, English Leather uh, Master um, and my safe for work uh, Twitter is ELM Coaching. Uh, okay. If you put me in Google, you might find some not safe for work stuff, and you're welcome to do that. But I'll give you the safe for work stuff here. <laughs> cool, that's awesome, man. Well, thank you so much, Matthew, for doing the work you do, giving us some great insights and conversation today that I hope touches some of those guys that are listening to like, hey, you can go be your all yourself wherever you want to yeah. be. And it doesn't have to be like this separates and this separates. But if you choose to keep it separate in places, that's also really cool. So that's um, fine. Just do it. Just do it knowing that you're doing it. That's the big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I love that. So. All right, my friend. Thank you so much. And everything will so be much. on the website. I'll even sneak in the you know the nasty links. I'm kidding, guys. I'm kidding. You got to go figure <laughs> that out yourself. I figured it out. So you go figure it out yourself. But um, I appreciate it. And um, thanks so much, man, for being a great guest and sharing your wisdom with my audience. Thanks so much for having me. That's a wrap for 40 plus. Gay men, gay talk, where size doesn't matter. We drop our bullshit, get over our screwed up fears, make bold moves, and live life without apologies. Don't forget to join us on Facebook at 40 plus gay men, gay talk, where the conversations continue.